Well, recently, Starbucks made headlines in that they closed all 8,000 of their stores for what they called anti-bias training. The reason for this training was because they had made headlines just a couple weeks prior, but in a very negative way. Turns out that two black gentlemen had come into the store and were waiting for a friend to show up. But one of the employees became very suspicious of them, called the cops who arrived, and arrested these men for loitering. These men had been there for a total of like five minutes, maybe, maybe ten. And so they, Starbucks decided, all right, we, they were, guys were you know, uh, discriminated against because of their skin color. We need to have anti-bias training. And so they closed their stores to have this conversation. But this wasn't the first time that Starbucks has closed their stores. The first time was back in 2008. It was just a Tuesday. And on a Tuesday evening from 5.30 to 9 p.m., they closed their stores. And the reason that time was because they needed to retrain their employees on how to make the perfect espresso. It turns out the reputation of their espresso had started to decline, and people would stop coming to get their drink. And they panicked. Starbucks said, all right, we've got to address this. And so they closed the store for these three hours, which meant they were going to lose six million dollars. But they were willing to sacrifice six million dollars because they believed that even greater profits were ahead of them if they could retrain their people on how to make the perfect drink. If you have ever had a big vision, a big goal, a big dream, in order to achieve it, you have had to make a big sacrifice. Now, probably not a $6 million sacrifice, but a big sacrifice nonetheless. Uh, For instance, as I look out across this room, I know a number of you have degrees. Could be a bachelor's, many of you have master's, even some of you have a doctorate. In fact, just recently, our very own Michelle Chavez, who plays bass up here, just finished her master's of public administration. And it took a lot of sacrifice. It took the the money to pay for the classes. It took all the time. I mean, you could talk to their family and find out that basically it was like mom eats supper and then mom's off studying and everyone else has to, you know, kind of keep the household running. It was a big sacrifice on her part and everyone's part. And yet when she gets the cap and gown, she gets the diploma in the mail, there's celebration. She's achieved it and because of the sacrifice. Some of you, you are runners or you've done marathons. Just yesterday, Luke went and did the Excel um, triathlon and he had a personal record. He actually made the podium. You know, he did fantastic. And yet to get there, it took Luke a lot of time and work. He gets up at 5.30 to go and swim. He he takes his lunch hour to to go and run or bike. He's put in a lot of time and energy and and it paid off. Anytime you want to have the big achievement, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you sweat. But if you value it enough, you're willing to give it up. I believe that in each and every one of you, no matter where you are at in your spiritual journey, is a deep desire to connect with God. I think every single one of you is longing for a relationship with God. The reason you don't have it is because you keep getting caught up in the now. You're you're, you're drifting. You drift towards what is easy. You you go for what is comfortable. You, You seek after pleasure. And yet, you don't just accidentally win a gold medal. 
You don't just accidentally get the degree. You don't just accidentally get a relationship with God. To get what you really value, to get what you really need, means you have to say no to something here and now. Now, we're going to talk about this, this idea of sacrifice today. And I'm just going to warn you, it is not going to be easy. It is not going to be comfortable. But it is going to be worth it. Because we're going to discover that if God is who and what we value, we're willing to say no to what's easy and comfortable now, no matter how hard it is. So, Father, I just pray right now that you would open our ears and our hearts to what you want to say, what you need to say to us. I pray that today it would not be about what Aaron Bird has said. In fact, that if some people leave, they would not even remember who delivered this message, but they would hear loud and clear that you, God, love them passionately. That is seen through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And yet you're calling us, Father, to give up the things, to shake off the things that so entangle us, that keep us from you. God, you want all of us. So, Father, I pray that today you would do surgery. You would get into our hearts. You'd carve us more into that image of Christ, which means you need to remove some things from us. So, God, I pray you'd give us courage. Right now, give us Holy Spirit courage to sit and listen to what you need to say to us as you confront us and you ask us to sacrifice. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so if you brought a Bible with you today, whether it's a paper copy or digital, open up to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. If you're a first-time guest with us, you'll see some people pulling out their phones. They're not getting ready to check Facebook. At least I hope they're not getting ready to check Facebook. Uh, They're pulling out their Bible. So if you have a Bible on your phone, feel free to, to pull that out. During this disciplined series, we are not showing the Scripture up on the screen. We're trying to get us disciplined to get into the Scripture ourselves. So if you don't have a Bible, I really want everyone to have it. I want you to see these two parables that we're going to look at. So if you don't have a Bible, would you just be brave enough to raise your hand up? And Miguel right now will just bring a, a Bible to you. So I want everyone to have a Bible. All right, so just keep that hand up, and Miguel will get that to you. Now, before we jump into Matthew, as, as he's passing out those Bibles, I, I just need to acknowledge something. All of these spiritual disciplines that we've been talking about during this discipline series require sacrifice. For instance, in the very first week of the series, we talked about the, the spiritual discipline of scripture intake, of reading the Bible. Right? Well, that means you're going to have to sacrifice. You, you got to sacrifice, you know, some time with Netflix. You got to put away Facebook. You, you, you got to say no to some things to, to open up your Bible and actually read it and study it. You, you're going to have to sacrifice something. Or, or last week, Jacob brought us that fantastic message on the spiritual discipline of generosity. But in order for us to live the kind of generous lives that God calls us to, to, to give the way, the way God wants us to, it means we're going to have to sacrifice spending that money on ourselves. We, we, we can't go and just use that money for however we want. It, it's saying, God, I believe that you could do more with this bit that I give to you than what I could do with myself. And so you're going to have to sacrifice it for how you would want to use it in a personal, selfish way. So I, I recognize All of these disciplines are sacrifice. But today, I found myself wanting, well, I should actually say last November as I was planning out my, my, our sermons for the the year, I I hit a point where I realized, okay, I want to talk about some various disciplines, but I wasn't really having enough time to do all of it. And so I I thought, you know what, we'll just kind of lump these together. And as I thought about, well, what what could I title it? I, I realized kind of the key theme of these three things we're going to look at today 
was sacrifice. So that's why we're just talking about this as the spiritual discipline of sacrifice. And we're going to look at three specific today. Before we get to those three, though, let us look at a couple of parables that help us see the power of sacrifice. Matthew 13, join me in verse 44. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and tells, sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, this is Jesus talking. In uh, Matthew 13, he is telling a series of parables, these stories that have a point, a, a meaning. And he tells two very short little parables in quick succession, and they have the exact same meaning. It's, it's basically the same story, just told twice. There's a character, in both cases, seems to be a guy, and he finds something worth a lot. In the one, it's a hidden treasure. It's out in this field. The other, it's a pearl, like the most beautiful, most worth, worthy pearl ever. And, and the guy goes and sells everything he has because he just doesn't have the money, the cash, to, to be able to just go and purchase it outright. So he sells off everything to go and get the treasure. Now, when we look at the story and you look at it in hindsight, it makes sense. I mean, imagine you find a field where there is treasure hidden in it, right? Let's just say the treasure is worth $10 million. But to buy this plot of land is going to cost you, oh, we'll just say $500,000. I don't know about you. I don't have $500,000 sitting around. But if I begin to sell my house, sell all my cars, sell, you know, my kids' Pokemon cards, if I just begin to sell everything off, we could go and buy the field. It'd be worth it. Because after $10 million, I can replace the house. I can replace the cards. I can replace the Pokemon cards. All right? So don't worry, kids. It, it makes sense, doesn't it? But what I want you to do for a second is I want you to jump into the middle of the parable. I, I want you to jump into the part where the guy's selling everything off, but you don't know why. Now it doesn't make sense. Now, this, this is confusing. Why would you do this? Imagine you have a wealthy aunt who asks you to paint your house pink. Like, if you started to do it, like, your friends would think you have a Pepto-Bismol addiction. Right? Like, it's just, this is crazy. No one who's sane paints their house pink. If anyone has a pink house, I hope I didn't just offend you. Uh, but this just isn't what normal, rational people do. Why would you paint your house pink? But if your friends, neighbors found out that your aunt said she would pay you a million dollars for every year that your house was pink, they would be suddenly grabbing their own paintbrushes, asking, would she pay me too? Suddenly, if you know the reason why, if you see what's of great value, you're willing to sacrifice the embarrassment. And I think that's a point that we need to understand. That as we enter into these different spiritual disciplines and we see the sacrifice it takes, some people won't get it. Because as we're in the middle of the sacrifice, they can't see the end result. But the end result for us is Jesus. God wants all of you. But there are things in this earth that encumber it, they make it hard, that we end up being more in love with than we are with God. And the sacrifice is to remind us of what the treasure is. And we have to be willing to give up, to sacrifice all that we have, even in this earth, in order to get that which is of eternal value. But you can't see that in this life. 
And so you might have some people who might mock you. They may roll their eyes at you. They may question you. They may think you're a little odd. But you have to ask yourself, what do I value? Or more importantly, who do I value? And when you realize that what you value is God, you're willing to give up what seems easy, what seems comfortable, what seems pleasurable, what seems immediate. And you will suddenly discover it wasn't a sacrifice at all, that it was actually worth it. So today we're going to look at three sacrificial disciplines. The first one is fasting. Fasting. When I say the word fasting, probably the first thing that came to your mind was the idea of going without food. And that is definitely a big, big part of fasting. Right now in America, one of the most popular diets is the keto diet. And a big part of the keto diet is to go into what they call intermittent fasting. Or if you want to sound like one of the cool keto people, you call it IF. These IFers will say, hey, you should intermediately fast for a certain amount. Thank you. Someone thought that was funny. Uh, what you, what you do is you say, okay, I'm going to give up food for a certain amount of time every single day. And so the typical IF is an 18-6. You fast for 18 hours and you give yourself only a six-hour window to eat. And so if you want to know what that looks like, it means usually skipping breakfast. You start eating at noon. You finish all of your eating by 6 p.m. And then you don't eat again until the next noon on the next day. Right? That's a, a typical intermittent fast. If you're really hardcore, you may start stretching that out to a 20 and 4, where you fast for 20 hours and you only give yourself a four-hour window to eat. Uh, One of my Facebook friends just posted last week that he started doing intermittent fasting. He started with 18.6. He actually extended it to a 20 and 4, and in three months, he's lost 20 pounds. And he sings the praises of intermittent fasting. But the reason that these keto crazies are into intermittent fasting is for physical benefit. The reason a Jesus follower would fast is for spiritual benefit. If you dive into the topic of fasting in the scriptures, I think there would be two things that you would be really surprised by. At least I was. This week, I discovered that the Bible speaks more about fasting than I really thought it did. I found a resource on Bible.org that listed out almost every single verse that addresses the topic of fasting. And there were over 60 Now, some of those were just merely talking about people and the fast that they were going through. Some people were fasting because they were just in deep sorrow. Other people were fasting because they were repenting. Some people were fasting because they had made a vow with God. And this fasting was kind of like a a seal, a consecration to it. Uh, Other people were fasting just simply because they just wanted to be reminded that man does not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. And so there were a lot of reasons for fasting, But there were also a lot of examples of fasting. The second thing that surprised me was that out of all of those 60 instances, or more than 60, only twice could I find where God commanded a fast. That surprised me. I really thought there was a lot of, there'd be several instances. There were two. One to the prophet Ezekiel and another to the people of Israel in the book of Joel, Joel chapter 2. God gives a command to fast. Which made me realize that God was not commanding people to fast. It was rather that the people were fasting to call out to God. It was more like they had initiated it. Realizing that what I need more than anything else is God. He's the treasure. He's the pearl. And so I'm willing to give up some food to sell all that I have in order to get that which really matters. And so they would chase after him 
through fasting. But I think you make a mistake if you keep your definition of fasting at being only food or giving up of food. Because Isaiah 58, which talks a lot about fasting, makes it very clear that what God wants through your fast is he wants you. He wants all of you. He doesn't want you going through some sort of ritual saying, okay, I'm going to give up food for a certain amount of hours every day, and God, you'll be really impressed by this. No, what God wants is all of you. He wants your heart. He wants your mind. He wants your emotions. He wants you because he's in love with you. He created you. And so that means if there's something else other than just food that's keeping you from, from God having all of you, you should consider fasting, giving it up. And so if it's alcohol or if it's TV or if it's Facebook, Instagram, if it's the news, if it's anything, maybe you should fast from it. Set it aside for a time. Give it up a few days, a few weeks to remind yourself that I don't need this in order to be happy and fulfilled and complete. I just need Jesus. That's hard. That's why we got to help each other. We got to encourage each other. It is so difficult to do it because, as I said earlier, if you enter into this, you're in the middle of it. They can't see the payoff. So some people, they may mock you. This won't make sense. In fact, David wrote in uh, Psalm, uh, what was it, 69? Yeah, Psalm 69.10. He says, I mourned and fasted, but it brought me insults. Now, I doubt in Iowa people are going to outright insult you. But someone may not understand. They may roll their eyes. That's why you got to realize, why am I doing this? It's, if it's for God, then so what? So what if they, they'd look at you and thinking, you're crazy. You're off. You're odd. Because this isn't about them. This is about you and God. Uh, this past January, we started off 2018 as a church family doing 21 days of fasting and prayer. Uh, a number of you participated. I know some of you, you said you gave up sugar. Uh, others of you gave up TV. I remember one person, they said they actually hid their TV remotes and, and on the end table where they normally would put the remote, they put books that would help them to read and, and to learn more about following Jesus. You know, a number of you gave up things. And, and I think it was meaningful for, for quite a few of us. But now, here we are, six months later. How's your heart? How, how are you and God doing? Do, does he have all of you? I, I realized as I was working on this message, my answer to that is no. What, what is it that you need to give up? What, what is it that you need to fast? If you need to, yeah, give up food. Give up a meal every day for a week or say every Wednesday, I'm going to fast for, you know, or every Sunday, you know, like set a time, make a plan, but maybe it's not food. Maybe you do need to put the phone away. Maybe you too need to hide the remote. Maybe you need to like somehow disable the radio in the car so that you'll just spend some time in prayer. What do you need to sacrifice? What do you need to give up? So that you can have the treasure. So that you can obtain the pearl. So that you can have all of Jesus. Because you know that Jesus has all of you. So I'm going to encourage you. Consider what is it that you need to fast. 
The second sacrificial discipline that I want to talk about today is solitude. Solitude. Sometimes life is like a jar of river water. If you scoop up a bunch of of water out of the river, it's just swirling around in there. It's muddy. It's cloudy. It looks awful. That's how sometimes life feels, isn't it? Like the to-do list, the schedule, the relationships, the stuff at work, all the things going on. And then there's all that's going on inside of you. It just makes life murky. But if you take that jar and you just set it somewhere and you give it time, slowly the sediment will begin to settle and the water will begin to clear just a little bit. That's the idea behind the spiritual discipline of solitude. It is getting yourself away from the murkiness of life, the chaos, and finding some space to just be quiet and to be with God and let things settle. Up in Minneapolis, there is a sound lab that holds the Guinness Book of World Records for being the quietest place on earth. This room is 99.99% soundproof. It is so silent that NASA sends their astronauts there to train and learn what it's like to be in silence up in space. Apparently, the, most people, if, they, if you go in that room and they turn out the lights, most people, the longest most people last is about 45 minutes. The guy who built this lab, who owns the, the company, he says when he goes in there, he can hear the tick in his artificial valve in his heart. That's how quiet this place is. And then he said something profound. He said, the quieter the room, the more you can hear. The quieter the room, the more you can hear. If your life is so full of just the noise of your TV and your radio and the kids and and all that's going on at work and, and everything's just clamoring, no wonder you feel far from God. But if you would draw, if you get into solitude, if you retreat... Just maybe the quieter it gets, the more you hear. I've been doing spiritual retreats for a number of years. Uh, for for several, a big uh, several year block, I would do one every month for about an eight hour uh, period. Uh, I've started to incorporate uh, a more longer term getting away, doing a couple of overnights. And so I just want to give you some tips based upon some of my years of doing spiritual retreats. Uh, And so if you seriously are thinking, you know what? Yeah, my life is chaotic. It's overwhelming. I should do something. Here are some tips. The first is to block out at least four hours. Find at least a four-hour block to get away. Right Now, I'm going to encourage you. Your first time, probably not try and go more than eight. Right? Because if your experience is like mine and some other people I've talked with, your first experience, you're going to go away, and within about two hours, you're going to be like, okay, I'm done. Like, what do I do? Because right? this is hard. This is not normal. Right? It, it's like a muscle you're trying to develop. No one jumps up off the couch and goes and runs a 5K just like that, except for Luke. Uh, no, normal people, they, they like get up on the couch, and they have to learn how to walk. And then they learn to jog, and they go like half a mile. Then they go a mile. Then they get up to two. Then finally they can run the 5K. So when it comes to the spiritual retreat, don't think, okay, I need a spiritual retreat. All right, let's just find a week away someplace. Right? You're probably going to crash and burn. Right? You're going to come back saying that was the worst week ever. Right? So, so set yourself a four-hour block. And when you go, take along your Bible. 
Right? Take your Bible with you. If you have a reading plan, plan to keep going. But sometimes what I do is I'll just say, you know what? I'm going to read a book. I'm going to read the book of Philippians. Or, or I, I'm going to go and, and read several Psalms. You know, and just read it. And don't just read to get through it. Like, read it slowly. Like, savor it. Stop. Think through it. What, what's it saying? Get quiet. That way, the quieter it is, the more you'll hear. So take along a Bible. I also encourage you, take along a book. If, if you're a reader like I am, take a, a book with you, uh, one that's going to help you in, in following Jesus. Some of you, you may be thinking, well, what book do I take? Well, if you were part of Riverwood family back in February when we did that gospel series, take along Jeff Vanderstelt's gospel fluency book. Because if you're like the rest of us, you didn't finish reading it. You know? so, so take it along. You know, restart it. Re read it again. Uh, I would highly recommend anything by Tim Keller. Uh, his book, Prodigal God, would be a great one for you if, you, if you've never read anything by Tim. Uh, it, it's just going to show you the immense love that God has for you. He, he walks you through the parable of the prodigal son, and you start realizing what the word prodigal means and who God really is. Or maybe take along Francis Chan's famous book, Crazy Love, a couple other similar books to that, David Platt's Radical and then Kyle Eidelman's Not a Fan. Uh, those books, they, they call you out of just cultural American Christianity. And what does it mean to truly give your life to following Jesus? All right, so if you're going to do a, a solitude retreat, take along your Bible, but also maybe consider taking along a book. But don't spend the whole time reading. Oh, by the way, I just want to throw in a caveat. Some of you, you, you say, I'm not a strong reader. So when you take your Bible, maybe you take along an audio Bible. Maybe you're going to do better by listening to the Bible being read. I, I give you permission to, to take that along with you. But also, don't spend the whole time reading. Also, spend some of the time talking with God. Spend the time in prayer. And now, I know a number of you are probably thinking, oh my goodness, how in the world am I going to like, spend that much time talking to God? Right? Well, again, it's, it's a muscle. You, you, you'll start. And what I have found is like, it's really awkward at first, but after I spend some time with him, like, things really begin to flow. It's kind of like when you see a friend you haven't seen in a while, and maybe things are kind of awkward at first, that, but then all of a sudden you just have that breakthrough, and pretty soon the, the conversation starts flowing. That's often how it is with God and, and in prayer. If you need to, plan ahead. Take, take along a notebook. Some people find that when they write out their prayers, it slows them down, and they can focus better. I have personally found that when I walk, I pray better. And so I often am heading outside to nature to find a trail where I can walk and I pray. I just hope I don't run into anyone. Otherwise, they think I'm crazy as I talk to myself. All right? but, but maybe consider walking. Uh, other people, they take along a book of prayer to, to help guide them. Or do what Patrick Gray just taught us three weeks ago. Take your Bible, open up to the Psalms, and let the Psalms help guide your prayer. Let God's word become part of your words to God. But spend the time in prayer. If you're like me and you connect to God through music, then I'd encourage you, if you know how to play an instrument, take it along. A guitar works great. A piano, not quite as well. Um, maybe find a place that has a piano, but it's really hard to fit that piano back in your back pocket. Um, but take along a, an, an instrument or take along an iPod or, or your smartphone that has some Christ-centered music uh, loaded up on it and listen. But I also want to encourage you, take out the, out, the earbuds and spend some time in silence. It's great. Spend some time reading, you know, hearing from God there. Spend some time talking to him. But also, just spend some time in silence. If you're out in nature, just listen to the birds praising God. Listen to the, the wind as the trees lift up their voices to God. Just spend some time in silence. And sometimes what you discover is that as you just sit in silence, sediment starts to settle. Things become just a little bit clearer. And sometimes what you begin to hear is just how much God loves you. 
You, you hear God calling you to do something. He's got something really important for you. He wants to confront something. So just get quiet before him. I, I just want to throw in a little caveat here. Um, don't consider, if, you're, if you've never done this before, don't take the first discipline we talked about of fasting and try and incorporate it with solitude. All right? you, you can do that, but I would not encourage that your first couple of times. Um, your first time going off in solitude is probably going to be awkward enough. There's, don't make it even harder by, by ignoring food for the day. All right? so, so take along a snack, take along some food. Eventually, you'll come to the place where you crave these spiritual retreats, and then maybe you can start to incorporate the spiritual discipline of fasting. But my encouragement is your first time, take along some food. T- definitely take along some water. Uh, it, it, make that a part of it. But that, that brings in then where do you go? I, I connect to God deeply through nature, and so I'm often heading to a county park or a state park. Uh, even when I do my overnights, I, I, I go to a place where you know, there's a cabin, and I can walk trails, and I just can get away. It just does something with, within me. I've known people who've rented a hotel room for an, a night or two. That's how they get away. Um, maybe your budget can't handle that, or, or that would not be good for you because there's like a TV right there, and there's often internet, you know? And so you're like, okay, I got to say no to that. So maybe you borrow a friend's house like while they're away at work or they're gone on vacation. Now, that's got to be a really good close friend, right? Because you shouldn't just walk up to pure strangers and say, hey, could I like use your house while you're gone? All right, so find a friend that you really trust and they trust you that you're not going to like do something weird in their house. All right, so borrow someone's house, but find a location. Don't do it at home, right? Doesn't mean you can't like read your Bible at home and pray at home, please do. But if you're going to really do the solitude, get away Go away, withdraw, so that you can get yourself in a quiet place. Because the quieter it is, I think the more you'll hear. All right? So I, I, I encourage you, enter into the spiritual discipline of solitude. I'll, I'll just let you know, a lot of where Riverwood came from came through those, my, my spiritual retreats. And I'm so grateful for those times. And I've just found myself, in fact, I was just confessing to Leanne yesterday, like realizing like, I haven't been doing this discipline as regularly as I should, and I'm, I'm craving it and realizing I, ne- I need to start putting some dates on my calendar to, to pull away because it'll be good for me, which means it'll be good for my family, which means it'll be good for Riverwood. And so I just, I encourage you, get, give it a try. Enter into this discipline. And then the third uh, spiritual discipline of sacrifice I want to talk about today is confession. Uh, confession. Confession. Um, when it comes to the confession, uh, you might be thinking to yourself, well, okay, I get fasting. That's like sacrificing food. And, and, and I get solitude. That's like sacrificing, you, you know, your time with, with people and your to-do list. and uh, You're setting that aside. But how is confession a, a sacrifice? I'll, I'll tell you. Because when you confess, what you're sacrificing is your reputation. When you sacrifice through confessing, you are basically admitting, I am a pathetic human being. I don't have it all together. And that is hard. I I believe that we need to confess to God, but we also need to confess to others. Uh, Scripturally, uh, we need to confess to God in uh, 1 John 1, 8 and 9. John writes this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Now, I'm going to pause there. I want you to realize, John is writing this to a church filled with Jesus followers. Right? So, if you're a Jesus follower, yes, your sin has been forgiven through the cross. All right? And so, your sin is not held against you. And yet, 
you've got to also realize that we're still in this world. We still wrestle with sin. So if you sit there and act as if, ah, I, I, don't, I don't sin. I, I'm fine. It's all forgiven by Jesus. John's saying, you're deceiving yourself. Stop it. Instead, notice what he says in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you don't confess your sin, you're basically saying, my sin really is not that big of a deal. Which therefore means Jesus didn't really need to go to the cross. But the fact that Jesus did go to a cross tells us that our sin is a big deal. The, the Oxford Dictionary says that the definition of confession is this. It's a formal statement admitting one is guilty of a crime. Well, when you confess to God, you're saying, I am a criminal. I have committed a crime. The crime is my sin. Because it is against God. He is a holy God. He is just. And so when we sin, it is against him. But you know what I've discovered? I have no problem confessing my sin to God. I, I know, theologically, God is a holy God. And so he was with me in the moment. I'm sorry, he's, a, he's an omnipresent God, which means he was with me in the moment that I sinned. And so therefore, I need to confess it because he's already aware of it. He knows it. But I also know Jesus died on the cross. I know that if I confess my sin, he forgives me of it. He doesn't hold it against me. He is full of grace. He is full of love. And so in my brokenness, I can come and confess this to him. But it's the second part that I found harder. And that is to confess to others. And James, the brother of Jesus, writes this. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. <laughs> but while it commands me to do that, I have found that incredibly hard to do. Which is really, really backwards if you think about it. Our sin is against a holy God. And so if anyone has a right to reject us because of our sin... It's God. Thankfully, he doesn't do that. Through his love and grace, he forgives us, he welcomes us, he embraces us. But the scriptures teach us also that all have sinned. Everyone, every human who's ever drawn breath has sinned. We are born into it. It's just a default part of who we are. And so we shouldn't have a problem confessing our sin to another fellow sinner. And so if someone comes and confesses something to you, don't you dare look at them and go, oh, how could you? Instead, you need to look at them and say, I understand. Me too. I may not have done what you've done. I may not think the way that you think. I may not struggle the way that you struggle. But I get it. I'm a sinner. But the reason we don't want to confess our sin to someone else is we have a reputation to maintain. It has been embarrassing when I've had to sit across from a friend and confess my lust or confess my laziness or confess the times that I got angry, the times that I didn't honor my wife, the times that I said something incredibly rude to my kids, the times that I haven't used my time wisely. It's embarrassing because now they see just how weak and pathetic I actually am. But thankfully, God has put me in connection with some men who look at me and they say, I understand. Me too. And they pray for me. And they help me see yet again God's forgiveness. So that's why I said earlier, 
in order for us to do these disciplines, to truly make these sacrifices, it means we've got to help each other. It means we have got to confess. But did you hear what he said when we confess? It says, when you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. Each of us is broken because of sin. And yet God is wanting to restore the image of his son within us. He wants to heal us. But to heal us, he has to have all of us. And confession is basically admitting, God, I know you don't have all of me. I have been keeping this from you. And so that's why today we want to create some space for you to confess. If you've been sensing God speaking to you through this message, and he's saying, I love you. I want all of you. Will you spend some moment confessing that to him? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite the band to, to come on up here. Uh, Zach's just going to play quietly. And I'm just going to create about one minute of just space, of quiet, for us to confess. Whatever is going on in you, tell God. He already knows. But if we are faithful to confess, know that he is faithful to forgive. He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. After this one minute of silence, we are going to then enter into a corporate confession. It's this idea that of confessing. We're not going to confess to one another in a sense, but, but by doing this together, we will. We're going to confess together to God that we are broken people, desperately in need of Jesus and the gospel. So I will, I will lead us in that. And then as we come out of that, we're just going to respond to God in song. Just that a prayer again of God, I want you to have all of me. And then I'm not going to come back up after that song. After that song, I invite you to come to the communion table to realize that Jesus sacrificed it all and it is through him you can be made whole. All right, so we're going to spend a moment in silent prayer and then we'll spend a time in corporate confession. Then we will sing and then we will go into communion as we continue to sing. So Father, right now, we know that you are in this place because you are a holy, present God. And so we thank you for your presence that is here. And I pray now that as you have been speaking to us through your scriptures, would you hear us now as we confess our sin to you?